This is Office Hours from Westminster Seminary, California. Call the show now at 760-480-8477. Email us at officehours at wscal.edu. Now, Scott Clark. Chuck Tedrick is no stranger to Office Hours. He first appeared in 2009 on this program, Season 1, Episode 3. So he's a veteran, and then he was a student at Westminster Seminary, California. Then he appeared in Season 8, Episode 22, when we caught up with him while he was a pastor in Loveland, Colorado, to find out what happened to him and about life as a seminary graduate and as a pastor. Before attending Westminster, he studied at Biola University in Los Angeles, and then he worked in the automotive industry for 20 years. For the past 10 years, however, he's been serving as pastor of Calvary United Reformed Church in beautiful Loveland, Colorado. A native of Michigan, Chuck is married to Michelle, who works for Whitehorse Inn. The big news is that in August of this year, Chuck joined the seminary as our Dean of Students. His job as Dean is to help foster a vibrant community and spiritual life on campus. Hi, Chuck, and welcome back to Westminster and to Office Hours. Well, thank you. It is a pleasure and honor to be here. And I didn't realize that I was in the very first season, even uh, episode three. So it's been a while. It's it's been a while. We won't count the years, but it's been a while. You're going to outlast the Simpsons if you keep this up. (laughs) Yeah, I should, you know, I should do that. uh, You know, there's a thing you could do now where they can take your picture and turn you into a Simpsons character. And uh, which one would you be? I don't know. I mean, they they just make you look like you belong on The Simpsons. But it'd be interesting for us to consider which of the Simpsons characters you are most like. <laughs> or that, maybe, that might... <laughs> or maybe not. I think I know. It's probably Homer. <laughs> we'll have to ask Mrs. Clark which one. So <laughs> yeah, really. she might have a different opinion. So. Or, or Bart, yeah, Homer or Bart, or maybe Marge. I don't know. <laughs> Oh my. Uh, <laughs> anyway, funny. so we're we are so excited to have you back here with us. Well, thank you. I am honored to be back. So it's quite a, a transition from ten years of pastoral ministry. So let's let the listener sort of catch up in case uh, the listener hasn't heard every season of sure. Office Hours. Why that would be, I don't yeah, I can't know. imagine anybody who's in that category, but if they exist, so be it. So. Yeah, it's entirely possible. <laughs> there are people who have listened to every episode. No, I'm, I'm at, is there any, I can't imagine somebody in the category who hasn't listened to all of them. Well, that's a possibility too. If, if that too, kind of creature yes. actually exists, we'll catch them up. So Yeah, exactly. So you were serving as pastor of Cal URC. Yes. Yeah, in Loveland, Colorado for the past 10 years. So after I graduated, I was at seminary from 2006 to 2010, and then was very fortunate and blessed to be called to Calvary URC in Loveland. And I was actually hoping and praying for a call there and the Lord was uh, gracious and wonderful and providential in answering that prayer. So for the past 10 years, it was my honor and my privilege and delight to serve out there. It's a wonderful congregation, a wonderful group of people, and couldn't be a more beautiful spot in the country or, or few more beautiful, I would say. So it was delightful. Michelle and I really loved it. Uh, I came here not because of any problems or challenges there. As a matter of fact, things have been going really well with the church and we felt very blessed to be there and things were humming along. But when the opportunity came here, uh, one or two of the professors had actually called and asked me if I would even consider this. And so Michelle and I thought about it and prayed about it. And then as we learned more about the opportunity, 
and what it would involve and the unique position that the seminary is in with adding the village, uh, Westminster Village, to the mix in terms of having 200-plus people uh, living right on campus, basically, and the unique opportunities and the challenges that that provides and some of the gifting and calling and abilities that I might uh, be able to bring to the table in terms of uh, helping uh, with that and shepherding that and learning myself as well as pouring into the lives of students. Michelle and I thought about it a lot and prayed about it and talked with our consistory and council and congregation about it there in Loveland. And I think most of us settled on, they were all sad but supportive, I would say, for the most part. I'm sure there's a person or two that we're happy to say bon voyage, <laughs> um, but uh, I would say that most of them were sad but supportive and really thought that it was a good opportunity for me to continue to serve our churches in a different way and even more broadly in terms of students from various uh, denominations and in the URC even in particular with some of our students here and being actively involved in an internship through our local churches as well here in the area. So they were sad but supportive and thought it was a good fit for me. And it's always difficult to know when to leave one call for another call, if you will. So it was interesting thinking through that. I don't know exactly what you want to get into in the call here, but that was kind of interesting. I don't know if there's ever a great time to leave, but there are better times <laughs> to leave than others and to, to want to leave while things are going relatively well at the church. I mean, coronavirus obviously was a bit of a curveball, but financially in God's Providence, the church is stable. We had, you know, five to seven people in a new members class. Things have been going well. A good group of elders and deacons uh, just had some new members and some uh, professions of faith. So the things were going well. And I would rather leave, I think, if for lack of a better word, when things are going well than when things aren't going well. So feeling like it's in good hands and in a good position, both financially and spiritually, uh, leadership-wise, people-wise, congregation-wise. So if there is a, a good time, then I'd rather exit at a position like that when I know that they're healthy rather than they're really needing help. Does that make sense? Is that fair to say? Oh, I think so. I mean, it's easy to know that it's time to leave when the congregation is circling your house carrying torches <laughs> the, the tiki torches yeah, exactly. exactly then you so. know okay well i'm going to take this as a providential indication well, fortunately i didn't get there maybe it was a good time because a year or two later maybe that would have been the case so maybe it spared them that well so. i was privileged to hear you preach at least a couple of times in loveland and uh, honestly i was very edified and one of the things that makes me happy that you're here is that i thought when i heard you preach i thought well this is what we're trying to do. Chuck is actually doing week by week, right? Twice every Lord's Day, getting up in the pulpit and working with the Word of God, preaching it faithfully, preaching it exegetically. These were solid expository messages with thoughtful, careful application of the text to the congregation. Well, brother, you're very kind to say that. Thank you. I felt well prepared here to be able to do those things. And I think if you would have listened to the first couple of years of sermons in particular. Well, nobody should do that, really. <laughs> God bless the congregation there uh, for that. But hopefully, you know, through their encouragement, through God's grace, through prayers, hopefully continue to grow at that. I still think I have a lot of uh, growing and opportunity for growth as a preacher, um, but it was a privilege and an honor to be able to do that twice every Lord's Day, to be in the Word throughout the week and then be able to bring it to God's people and to the community on, on the Lord's Day. And I, I thank you for your kind words. 
That was thoughtful. You're listening to Office Hours from Westminster Seminary, California. One of the things that you mentioned that I do want to get into is this question of how one decides to leave a congregation. We often talk about how to decide whether one is called to ministry, and we've already talked about that with you in earlier episodes, so we won't go back over that. But deciding to leave a congregation is almost as challenging, I think, as deciding, you know, am I a pastor or should I accept this call? These are the kinds of really difficult decisions that pastors have to make. So maybe it's edifying for the listener to hear how youth worked through that. I'm guessing that you didn't go out, find a chicken, cut it up, and then move the entrails around. So, so setting that aside, and if you did, I don't want to know about it. Yes, exactly. That would be a different episode altogether. <laughs> this is the episode where Chuck leaves the seminary. Yes, I was going to say, and if, Pre- if President Kim is listening to it, this would also be my last official act as the dean of students episode. So setting aside the auguring, in case the listener isn't familiar with, with the joke, this is how the pagan Romans used to try to figure out what the gods wanted them to do. They would auger. It involved uh, chicken entrails and things. So, <laughs> not a method that we recommend no, here yeah. at Westminster Seminary, California. Descriptive rather than yes, exactly. Right, so. so, I assume that you prayed about it. Yes. And what else did you do? Sought wise counsel. So, I prayed about it a lot. As a matter of fact, I probably prayed about that more than almost anything in recent years. A huge decision, like you're saying, and significant. And the way I'm wired, I know people make decisions differently. It's much harder for me to make a decision than to live with a decision. Once I make a decision, I'll have my moments of, what what did I do? Or what did I get myself into? But those are fewer and far between, but it's difficult for me to make a decision. And in particular, when I really liked it there. I was glad to be there. I had a great relationship with the congregation. I loved the people, and I really like the area. That area of Colorado is just beautiful. Tell us where Loveland is. It's about an hour north, almost due north of Denver, in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains. So I could be in Rocky Mountain National Park within a half an hour. could be up in Estes Park within 20 minutes, which are just breathtaking spots of being able to enjoy God. Creation. I like to fly fish. I like to ski. All those things are readily available and easy to get to there. I love the outdoors and that whole setting. I just went back actually and was able to officiate a wedding last weekend in the fall colors up in the mountains. It was just beautiful. So, as you thought about leaving Loveland and taking on this responsibility, Mm -hmm. one of the things that I'm guessing you had to work through, I know it's something that I have had to work through, is the Lord called me to this congregation. And you develop this sense of vocation that this is where I'm supposed to be. And this is where the Lord has called me. And how do I know that the Lord is calling me somewhere else? And as you think about leaving, I don't know how it was for you. I assume that you went through something like this. I went through a grieving process. In fact, I've been through it a couple of times, and it's really difficult. Yes. It's like losing a family member. Yeah, it is very much so. And I would say, like most grief, it doesn't end in some sense. I think I'm still going through it. Like to go back to that wedding last week when I said I'd better at making a decision than living with a decision. So going back to the wedding, I was very happy to see them and to be with them, but I miss them and I love them and I care about them. And there is that difference. It's not the same, but I'm glad to be here. I think it was the right, I don't even want to say the right. I think it was a good call 
at that time. I had the best decision that Michelle and I knew how to make at that time. So backing up a little bit, because I got sidetracked by talking about the beauty of Colorado. Um, <laughs> Colorado, the, uh, that never happens to Colorado. So, they, they, they never get carried away talking about the mouth. Exactly. So in terms of considering the call, first and foremost was prayer and a, a lot of prayer with me and the Lord on walks uh, every morning, and then Michelle and I together, and then several friends, and then wanted to seek wise counsel. So I talked to several people there at the church, some dear brothers and friends, uh, elders, as well as some, obviously my wife is probably my primary counselor. She has my best interest at heart. She knows me better than anyone. She knows the very best and worst of me and still loves me. She's been through everything that I've gone through in the past 20 years with me. So who better to be able to talk about these things with? And so even in waiting people's counsel, her counsel waits more heavily, if you will. But talking to other ministers in the URC, talking to some folks here, talking to men and women at the church, talking to my biological family, my sister and my mom, like all of those things. And of course, not everybody's on the same page, but the questions that they ask, even going through the process of you know helping to discover uh, someone else's perspective on it or thinking through and answering their questions is helpful. And then every step along the process from the seminary's perspective. So the very first thing was two brothers calling and asking me if I would consider it and pray about it because they knew how much I loved it where I was and they kind of even felt awkward asking. But they said, we really think this might be a good fit for you and you know, would you and Michelle just even consider it and pray about it? So that started the process. And then as I found out more about how this Dean of Students piece fits into the life of the seminary and how it might manifest itself in me being able to pursue and use some gifts and pursue some desires to be able to be involved in the lives of students in a way that I couldn't be in Colorado logistically. That held some interest to me. I've actually been privileged to serve on the board for the past couple of years at the seminary. I had to resign when I took the position here, but prior to that, I was on the board and seeing how the dean of students position fit in. So, Dr. Julius Kim was the previous dean of students, and he was also a faculty member. So, this is the first time in a long time that they've had a dean of students that's a full-time dean of students. I'm not a faculty member. And so, with the doubling down on face-to-face -face education when so many other seminaries or institutions are trying to go online, the seminary doubled down on face-to-face -face with the village, Westminster Village. So, there are now, as I said, 200-plus people, which obviously includes students, their families, children. So, that presents a lot of really wonderful opportunities to minister to and to care for and to be actively involved in the life of the community and the seminary and one another. But it also, of course, brings about some challenges as well. And so, seeing how those things all are coming together in the overall vision of the seminary for the next 2, 5, 10, 15, 20 years to be committed to face-to-face -face education, to believing that getting a seminary degree just isn't a data dump, but actually a shared life together in terms of community, sharpening, softening one another, praying with one another, the chapel services, in addition to the academic classes themselves, the co-curricular opportunities in terms of discussing how to go about doing these various things, how to apply the things that we're learning in class into the life of the church or life of the community or the life of whatever uh, service
service uh, that the Lord might be calling one to, whatever their vocation is, and being able to thoughtfully think through those things with the students uh, and to be able to help implement them for our churches. Again, a broader picture of the various churches which the students go to here, so various Napark churches as well as others. So, it's a little bit different focus from being the minister of word and sacrament at one particular church, rather than thinking about how can I take what I've learned from the past 10 years there and be able to help maybe shape or influence or care for the students here as they seek to go out? And how can that be a part of the overall plan and design for the seminary in terms of really being committed to a face-to-face education, kind of community-type scholars, pastors, spiritual life together kind of thinking and living. You're listening to Office Hours from Westminster Seminary, California. You know, in 1979, the first faculty and administrators began assembling in San Marcos, California to attempt to establish a confessional, biblical, reformed seminary in Southern California, Westminster Seminary, California. In 1980, 40 years ago this year, we held our first classes. A few years later, we moved to our current campus, 1725 Bear Valley Parkway in Escondido. Truth is, there were times when it seemed that we might not be able to carry on. But looking back over 40 years of God's faithfulness, with Samuel in 1 Samuel 7.12, we can say, Ebenezer, thus far the Lord has helped us. We are grateful to you, dear listener, for your prayers and your support. Pray with us as we, by God's grace, begin our next 40 years of educating pastors, missionaries, teachers, elders, and others for Christ, His gospel, and His church. Westminster Seminary, California, wscal.edu, 760-480-8474. Westminster Seminary, California, for Christ, His gospel, and his church. You hit on a bunch of really important topics there, and I, and I want to follow up on a couple of them. Okay. One of them is the spiritual life of the student. Mm-hmm. This is something that those who are thinking about coming to seminary probably they need to be aware of, but this is something that others who are outside the seminary might not think about. Being a seminary student can be a difficult mm-hmm. trial sometimes. And it can be a spiritual trial. Sure. Obviously, it's an academic trial. Right. That's what exams are for. And uh, it's a, sometimes a physical trial just to you know get all the work done in the time that is uh, allotted. But the spiritual trial, and since you've been through it, and now you're helping students to deal with this, talk a little bit about the nature of the spiritual difficulties that seminary students can face. Sure. Well, one of them can be significant doubt uh, about themselves or about their calling. It's interesting. We just crossed the threshold where students are starting to take their midterms. And it's been interesting to be able to dialogue with a couple students this week who have just doubted whether they should be here or doubted their calling or they're freaked out a little bit or they're scared or what have you. And I was reflecting back on my time here and I remember it was about that time that I remember going in and talking to Dennis Johnson and I was 40 years old. I had left a really good job in the automotive industry, moved my wife and I across the country, ended up in, again, California left a lucrative job and halfway through the first semester, I did have one of those moments that I told you about. Like, what in the world did I do? What, what am I yeah, doing? and it's not like I hadn't thought about it, I hadn't prayed about it or hadn't gotten encouragement about it, but in the midst of it, 
it all, you end up coming up against some waves or some barriers or some things you didn't expect or ways that you're being stretched or what have you. And I freaked out and I was despondent and I went and I was just weeping in Dennis Johnson's office. And he, of course, couldn't have been more pastoral and gracious and helpful, you know, would that his tribe increased. He's just, just terrific. And he patiently met with me and prayed with me and talked through some of those things, even helped explain some of the reasons why the seminary does some things the way that they did or why, you know, these classes fall in this certain order or some of the things I was just even wondering about procedurally. It's not like they never thought about it before, you know, so there's a whole board and faculty that have been doing this for years and doing it well, and then trying to figure out my place and my piece in that, but it could be really difficult. I've tried to describe my job here when people People have asked, what does a dean of students even do? If you go to Barnes & Noble, there isn't a yellow binder book that says (laughs) dean for dummies. I I looked, so I can assure you it's not there. But we have an academic dean, Dr. Ryan Glomsrud. And the way that I've tried to describe it to people is that the academic dean deals with all the academic aspects of the student's life here. But again, it's not just a data dump and it's not just academics. So the dean of students is everything non-academic. So, chapels, prayer groups, helping with field education, mentorship, those difficult times. You know, sadly, brother, since I've been here, I've only been here three months, and there's been one or two couples that have uh, had miscarriages. And of course, they're getting the primary care from their church and their family, but they're also here, you know, 40 to 50 hours a week. So being able to come alongside them and to pray with them and to be with them and what does that look like in terms of adjusting any of their schedules or what have you, others struggling with either homesickness or uh, something that comes out through the rigors of academic education or something that the rigors of seminary or something that comes up and something that they're studying in scripture that they hadn't thought about, a spiritual struggle or a sin or a question or what have you. And then people coming from all different parts of the world, different age groups, different backgrounds, different denominational backgrounds. So, I try to think of it as in terms of, I want to help people land well here And then while they're here, I want them to learn and live and love well. And then I want to help them launch well into whatever the Lord has for them next. We, of course, believe that people are holistic beings, so they're not just thinking things or feeling things or what have you. They have emotions. They have a spiritual life. They have an emotional life. They have a relational life. They have an intellectual life. And all those things come together. And seminary is a really great opportunity for all of those to grow and to be stretched. And they are growing and they are stretching. And so, some of that can be really difficult. Change and challenges are hard. So, being able to be a part of that and to be able to help come alongside them and think through them, pray through things, and even recognize that several of them I've already told, look, I don't have all the answers, but I will walk through the questions with you, and I will walk through these times with you, and I will be here for you. You're listening to Office Hours from Westminster Seminary, California. It's interesting, you know, life doesn't stop when you come to seminary. So, you no. people have babies or they have, as you say, tragically miscarriages, cars break down. Deaths in the family. Exactly. All those things. I mean, we also want to say, right, Reformed folks can say this, that there are spiritual battles, yeah, right? Exactly. So, Satan does not wish <laughs> for 
for anyone to become a faithful preacher of the gospel. And he doesn't wish for men and women to be well-equipped or well-grounded in the word to be able to serve their churches or communities or vocationally, whatever the Lord may call them to do. So, there's a spiritual battle uh, that goes on as well. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going, that there is some risk when you begin studying the Word of God in a really intense way, which is what you do as a seminary student. You're learning the languages, and you're exegeting passages, translating passages, and all of that is marvelous, and it's exciting, it's thrilling, you'll have insights. But as you say, at the very same time, as you're preparing to enter into pastoral ministry as a young man or middle-aged man or whatever the case may be, Mm -hmm. the evil one is not a big fan of that. Yeah, the image of roaring around like a lion seeking to devour is such a powerful image, right? There's Sometimes I think it's easy for us to think of Satan or evil as somewhat benign, and it's positively destructive and aggressively destructive, seeking to destroy everything that is good and beautiful and holy and true and loving and gracious as defined by and embodied in our Lord. One of the most important things that you have to say to seminary students is the gospel. Yes, absolutely. Because in a sense, seminary students are not before the Lord and not theologically, but experientially, while you're in seminary, you are under a law, mm-hmm. right? And the law says, do this or fail, <laughs> right? Right. So, to put it in Reformed categories, your coursework is a covenant of works. Right. It's not a covenant of grace, and, and that's something that students sometimes struggle to appreciate. Right especially if they don't have that background. I think that's exactly right. And that distinction couldn't be more important. And one of the main benefits of a good seminary is to get distinctions, fundamentally from the distinction between the creator and creature, between God and us, this difference between the law and the gospel, difference between justification and sanctification. All of these distinctions that help become clarified in seminary are really helpful for our personal lives, but for our many Ministries and for our shepherding our kids' lives, for being involved in our churches, because so many things get confused or clouded elsewhere. To have that kind of clarity doesn't necessarily take away all the challenges. It doesn't take away all the challenges of life, but it does give us a clearer path through. I remember, I think it was Dennis Johnson again, that said, even in terms of our praying life, that prayer doesn't give Christians a less busy life. It gives them a less busy heart. So, the circumstances may not change. It's still challenging of whatever it might be that we're going through in life. But being able to take these things to the Lord and to know Him and to be able to make a distinction between, I don't have to do all of these things to have God's favor. I have God's favor in Jesus Christ. I couldn't have any more favor than He's given me in an embarrassment of riches. I am forgiven. I am declared righteous. I am adopted. I am loved. I'm reborn. I'm indwelt with this Holy Spirit. I am bound for and destined for glory. I'm already in some sense seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father, and there's nothing in all of creation that can separate us from the love of the Father and the Son through the Holy Spirit now and forever. That is the starting line of the Christian life, not the end. (laughs) 
and to be able to realize I'm moving forward from that acceptance. I don't have to do something for that. It's already a gift given to me by God's grace. It's just remarkable. And that's what we want our students to know and to hear and to study and to be able to teach and to bring to the lives of churches throughout the world, as well as to proclaim to a lost and dying world who desperately needs to hear that good news. Thanks for listening to Office Hours from Westminster Seminary, California. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe now to Office Hours in iTunes. Find all the shows at wscal.edu slash office hours. Copyright Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved.